You guys ready to dive in the Word of God today? All right, well, get your Bible. Yeah, I love that. Woo, yeah. Get your Bible. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 18. We're in a series of messages that we call Let's Talk About Relationships. And relationships are so key in our lives because we were created from a relationship or relationships for relationships. If you remember Genesis chapter one, God said, let us make man in our image. So it was from a relationship of the Trinity, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that they said, let us, so from a relationship, they created man. So we were created from a relationship and we were created to have a relationship with God. So we created for relationship and then God created Eve from Adam. And so God was, cre- man was created for a relationship with God and man was created for a relationship with others. And God didn't make Eve because man needed sex and food. God made Eve because man needs connection in order to build kingdom. Because it was after he made Eve that he said, now you be fruitful and multiply. And he blessed them. Are you with me? So, so we need community and connection to do what God's called and created us. No one does life alone. Come on, say that. No one does life alone. Amen? And so we're talking about relationships, and we're going to be in the book of Proverbs. Now, Proverbs uh, is one of the three books in the Bible ascribed to King Solomon. King Solomon was David's son. Uh, he became king in about 90, I'm sorry, 970 uh, BC, reigned for 40 years. <clears throat> and, uh, and, and he is the one who, after becoming king, God comes to him and says, you can ask for anything, and he asks for an understanding heart. So typically we call that wisdom. And so he writes, and one of the books that we have is Proverbs, which is ascribed to him, and it's a book of wisdom. It falls technically under poetry in the Bible. There are five books of poetry, but this one is considered wisdom. It starts out with a basic prologue, uh, just, hey, in other words, listen up, this is wisdom, very short. And then chapters one through nine are kind of short discourses that are wisdom. And then chapters uh, 10 through Roughly 29 are kind of short aphorisms or pithy sayings. Isn't that a fun word? Pithy. I don't know. Of course, it almost sounds like you cuss. So let's not use that one. All right. So anyways, um, and you're like, what does all that mean? Okay, bottom line, let me put it. Let me help you. Chapters 1 through 9 are blog posts and chapters 10 through 29 are tweets. Everybody got it? All right. And so I want us to read here... um, in verse uh, chapter 18, verse 20. So would you stand with me as we read God's word together? We love to honor God's word. It says this, Proverbs 18, verse 20. These verses, probably most everyone's heard, but we're going to talk about them today. It says, from the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. And then verse 22, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And all my men said, amen. Amen. That's right. Today, here's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about communicating for a change, communicating for a change. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the word of God today. Lord, it is breath, it is life, but it's also bread. Lord, meaning we can take it in. It's, it's like sustenance to our soul. Lord, feed us today from the bread of life. And Lord, let it transform us from the inside out. Lord, we want to do relationships well. So Lord, today, as we open your word, show us how to better do relationships in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much. So let's talk about relationships, and today I want to talk about communicating for a change. Communicating for a change. The, the verse that we just read, it pretty much gives us kind of two almost pictures, analogies, if you will, because it says that your mouth produces a harvest. And then it says, in fact, it's a, your mouth is so powerful, it produces a harvest of death or life. So it said, life and death are in the power of the tongue. And it says, it says that, our, that our words create a harvest. You, you remember um, 
growing up, we don't hear these anymore. Nowadays, they have words that I don't understand, like bet, slay, you know, a lot of things like that. To me, slay sounds like you're going to get, you know, life in prison. Uh, bet sounds like you're gambling. That's not what any of those things mean. Um, but anyways, when I grew up, they also had sayings. And this one was probably more the boomer generation. We're all my boomers, boomer generation, because they'd say, I hope you eat your words. I'm going to make them eat their words. Y'all ever, y'all ever hear that? You know, it's kind of a negative, like somebody said something, you're going to prove them wrong. Let me help out the young people. If someone said something and they wanted to prove them wrong, they'd say, I'm going to make you eat your words, right? But here's, you know, the truth, according to the word of God, every person in this room, every person watching online, you're going to eat your words. Good or bad, you're going to eat your words. Because what we just read, think about it, from the fruit of man's mouth, He's going to be satisfied. And then it goes on to say, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. In other words, here's what Solomon's telling all of us. You're going to eat your words. Now, this is a principle. I'm going to relate it to relationships today, but this is a principle in life that whatever you say, Paul told the Galatians, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he reap. Right? It's a stern warning for all of us, really, because now there are lots of things we can sow, and we can if we sow judgment, we'll reap judgment. If we sow criticism, we'll reap criticism, right? If we if we sow a financial blessing, typically we'll reach financial blessing. All of it, this is a, a law, a spiritual law that exists, and Paul's talking about it, but it really even comes from Solomon. And what Solomon's saying is whatever, whatever your words are, your word, your words are seed. And your words will produce a harvest, and you will eat the harvest. I, I was talking with someone one time, and they had not been living for Christ the way that they should, and they'd made a lot of bad decisions, and then they were reaping what they had sown to. Paul says, you sow to the flesh. From the flesh, you're going to reap destruction. Well, they had sown to the flesh, and they were reaping, and they, they, it was hard. It was very difficult, and I was talking with them, just trying to encourage them. They said, I don't understand. I, I gave my life to God. Why, is all, why are all these bad things coming back? And I said, well, it's God's law. It's not that God wants it to come back, but it's the law of sowing and reaping. And before you came to Christ, you did a lot of things. We can agree that we're not wise, we're not good, we're not righteous, and those things produce a harvest whether God wants them to or not because it's a law. And I said, but let those things be a testimony. We can't stop that harvest. It's coming. It's already been planted. It's already been sown. It's already grown up. And now it's, it's coming in. We can't stop that harvest, but we can plant a new one in righteousness. And the testimony is that if the unrighteous harvest came in, the righteous harvest will come in. Because here's, here's the principle. You reap what you sow. And that really goes hand in hand with our words. The reason I want to talk about this, you know, is because Solomon says the power of life and death is in the tongue. The power of, think about how powerful that is. Life and death is in the tongue. I, I've um, had people come. I don't do counseling. You don't want me to do counseling. I'll give analogies about doing counseling. And, and all of them, what you will ascertain through those analogies or examples is that, dear Lord, I would never want to go to him for counseling. But anyways... Uh, I don't have patience, and I'm and I'm not nice. And um, I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, no, I don't really have patience at all. I don't. I don't. But I am nice, anyways. But I, I remember, you know, a couple came, and um, in this particular situation, uh, they were both saying so many negative things about each other. And then they said, Pastor, will you pray that God heals our relationship? And I said, It won't matter how much we pray that God resurrects your marriage if you're going to continue to kill it with your words. And so here's the overarching principle, and then we're going to dive in together. Your relationships, whether we're talking about marriage, parental and, and children, and that can be grown children or small children, teenagers, everything in between, the office, people you work with, your best friends, Here's what I need you to understand. Your relationships will not rise above the level of the words you use. Let me say it another way. Your marriage will not rise above your mouth. 
And so that's the principle that if we want healthy relationships, we kind of have to look at the words that we use and how we use the words that we use. Are you with me? And so I want us to dive in today. Are you ready? Just say, I'm ready. Some of you are like, I don't know. This sounds heavy. I'm not sure. We're going to have fun, but we're going to get some stuff done. Here's the thing. I want you to have healthy relationships, and healthy relationships aren't possible without healthy words. Right, and so we have to understand that that my words, my relationships, will not be healthier than my mouth. It will not be healthier than my words. So we're going to talk about it today. Are you with me? All right, write this down. Number one, our thoughts produce our words. Now I've been talking about our words, but we've got to back up one step because we have to understand that our words come from somewhere. Do you hear that? Your words come from somewhere. Look, look at what Matthew 12, this is Jesus. Jesus says, you brood of vipers. How many know Jesus didn't mince words with the Pharisees, right? You brood of vipers. Merry Christmas. I love you. Um, how can you speak good when you are evil? Now look, here's the verse you've heard. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure or, or the evil inside of him brings forth evil. Here's what Jesus said. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You see, if I have negative language, if I'm speaking negatively about my relationships, it didn't start with the words. It started with the thoughts. So if I find myself saying, speaking negatively about my children or about a spouse or about my best friend or my aunt, my uncle, my friend, whoever it is, if I find myself speaking negatively about them, then that should be a clue to me that there's something going on at the level of my heart because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, my heart is thinking, my mind is thinking, and I can't think negative things and expect positive outcomes. I had a golf coach that taught me that one time. Uh, you know, if you play golf, uh, guys, some gals, you know, you play golf, uh, a, a golf swing, if you're an amateur, it's about a second. Uh, if you're a pro, it's closer to two seconds uh, because pros understand it's not speed that gives you distance, but technique. Um, but if you think about it, if you're, let's say your golf swing's a second and a half, then you don't have a lot of time to think in a second and a half. So, you know, they would always say, well, what are you thinking when you're hitting the ball? And, you know, a lot of amateurs will have like five different thoughts, you know, and you can't think five things in a second and a half. So you learn you can have one swing thought. So I, I had a coach one time and he said, he said, well, straight, what's your swing thought? What was your swing thought on that? Because I hit a bad shot. And I said, my swing thought was don't look up. And he said, and when he said this, I knew I had a life principle, not just a golf lesson. And he said, it's impossible to get a positive outcome from a negative input. Meaning, you can't think negatively and expect to have positive relationships. That's how I'm going to apply it today. I can't think negatively about my children. I can't think negatively about my wife. I can't think negatively about my friends and somehow expect that those relationships are just going to be positive because out of the abundance of the heart, I'm going to speak, right? I can't say those negative things and expect that somehow I'm going to have a positive result. Listen to me very carefully, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but I'm going to get really personal about some things that you're not going to like maybe, but I'm going to help you. You can't have girls' night and sit around and undress your husbands, meaning being disrespectful to them, for two or three hours and go home and expect to have a healthy marriage. You can't go to the golf course and mouth about your nagging wife who won't leave you alone and then expect to come home and have a good marriage. You can't have negative input and positive outcome. You, you can't spend all your time talking about your mean, irresponsible, rebellious children and expect that somehow they become great young adults. You can't have negative input and expect a positive outcome. Are you, are you with, with me? So if I have a negative output, meaning if, I have, if I'm going to dinner and I'm saying you know, mean things or, or disrespectful things or unloving things or dishonorable things about my relationships, I have to stop for a minute. Listen, let me tell you something. This, I'm going to be kind of poignant because I want to help and I don't have a lot of time. That's why you don't want to come to me for counseling. 
listen to me. If, if I'm just, if I'm getting in a group of people or around another person or even my bestie and I'm all the time talking negatively about my spouse, my spouse isn't the problem. I'm not saying there's not an issue. I'm saying you can't make it better by making it worse is the obvious. See, if, if every time I get around someone, I need to talk negatively about my children or negatively about a mutual friend of ours. Like if, if you know, I, I don't know if y'all know this, gossip's still a sin. It's as much a sin as porn. We just don't talk about it in church because um, it's one of those holy sins because we can gossip because we call and say, would you pray with me about and then we gossip for 30 minutes and never pray. Anyways, my point is, um, I love you and I'm your friend. But, but my point is that if I'm getting in a crowd or around a best friend or whatever, and I'm speaking negatively about a relationship, then it's not saying there's not an issue on that side, but now there's an issue on my side in that something's going on in my heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If I'm speaking negatively about my relationships, there's something wrong inside of my heart. Now, listen, this is a normal thing, too, in relationships. So follow what I'm about to say because I'm going to try to help you. If you are in relationship with people, you eventually get hurt. It doesn't matter how good the people are. Are you with me? I'm a pretty good guy. You know, I mean, I think you could check with my kids. You could take, check with Jana, the staff. They'll tell you, you know, Pastor Marty's a pretty good guy. But probably all of them had had a hurt feeling by me. I've, I've done something didn't didn't mean to, but I said something or I didn't pay attention when I should, and I've hurt someone's feelings. That's because I'm a human guy. But what happens, so in relationships, we experience some hurts. And then some are more deliberate and some are more painful. But here's the thing. When I don't deal with the wounds and the hurts from relationships, they don't get better. Time never healed anything. Jesus heals. Are you with me? So when I have unhealed hurts and wounds and traumas and I start bitterness and unforgiveness get in, I'm not going to have positive words come out. So sometimes if I keep saying something negative about a person or relationship, I need to say, wait a second, what's going on in my heart pertaining to this person? Because I can't change them, but I can have a healthy heart. I can't even make them apologize, but I can forgive. Are you with me? And so, so my words start telling me there's something going on inside of me, and I can't have a positive relationship, a positive outcome with negative input. I can't have negative thoughts. Um, that's why Paul says, take every thought captive. Listen to me very carefully. You're the only one charged with deciding what you think. You're the only one responsible. Let's say it another way. You are the gatekeeper of your thoughts. No one else is keeping that gate but you. You are the gatekeeper. You decide what you're going to think about. That's why Paul says we need to capture thoughts and bring them. He didn't say pray that the Lord would capture thoughts. Pray that people, you know, won't do things and you won't ever have a negative thought. He said, no. He said, you have to capture thoughts that, listen, you decide what lives rent-free in your mind and you decide what gets evicted. And you, you have to learn, especially in relationships, husbands, wives especially, the enemy does not like marriage. Trust me, I can write a book on it. The enemy does not like marriage. And he wants to destroy the image of God which comes through marriage. Part of the image of God, man and woman, Holy Spirit, it's the triune entity, if you will. Man, man woman, and God. And he wants to destroy it. And he'll use any means necessary, and he loves to get in your head and start whispering negative things about your spouse. He's just wanting you to agree with him because he knows power, life, and death in the tongue. And I have to be smart enough to say, wait a second, that thought doesn't, not only does that not belong in my marriage, it doesn't belong in my life, it doesn't belong in my head. And I'm going to reject, I'm going to push that thought out, and I'm going to put a different thought in. Are you with me? Uh, Paul writing to the Philippians, Philippians 4 verse 8, um, he was writing the Philippians to thank them because of their support. He was in prison. Uh, a lot of people believe he was in prison. It was, they called it his first Roman imprisonment. I actually believe he's in prison in Ephesus. Um, it's a long story. It doesn't matter. He was in prison. When you're in prison, uh, they didn't give their prisoners three meals a day and all that kind of stuff. You were in prison, and if no one provided for you, you just starved. 
They didn't feed you. So when Paul would go to prison, the churches would send money and support to Paul because he couldn't work. He, he didn't have any way to provide for himself. And so the Philippians had sent money and support to Paul so he could have food in prison. So he writes to thank them. And then on the, after thanking them, he gives some exhortations. Um, Philippians 4.8 is one of those exhortations where he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. In other words, Paul's saying, hey, set up some framework for thoughts. Get some guardrails for your thoughts. And if you have thoughts that are violating these categories, those thoughts don't stay rent-free. They don't get to stay in your head. You're the gatekeeper. So the enemy comes to you and says, I'm telling you right now, your husband's just the sorriest thing. Do you say, you say whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold up. He's not perfect, but he was smart enough to marry me. <laughs> Amen. He's got something going for him then. And he's a good provider and he's a good dad and he works and he tries hard. So you get out of here. I'm not going to have that thought in my mind. Well, she's always nagging you because she thinks you're in it. Wait a second. Time out. She's pretty. That's why I married her. She smells better than all my friends. She buys groceries and cooks food. She's a good woman. Now you get out of here, negative thought. I'm not going to have you in my head. You're not living up there, right? We're the gatekeepers of our mind. And listen, communication starts with thoughts and if we, don't take, if we don't really take an inventory of our thoughts and, and, and if we don't have positive thoughts, we can't get good communication. So, so that's number one. Our thoughts produce our words. Here's number two. Healthy communication creates healthy relationships. Healthy communi Listen, communication is necessary in our world, period, but it's especially necessary if you want to have good relationships. Proverbs 12, 18 says, The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Look at that. What we all know because we've experienced it. In one second, somebody can say one word and you be pierced like a sword. And it may take you years to get healing from that wound. Are, are you with me? And so we have to be very wise that, hey, our words, you know, it's that we used to say that, you know, uh, what was it? Um, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's the biggest lie I've ever heard. That's the biggest lie I've ever heard in my life. Words hurt. And we need to be smart in our relationships. Listen, parents, you can say one thing in one second of frustration that your child lives with the rest of their life. It's how powerful your words are. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Husbands, wives, we all know we can say one thing in a moment of frustration that we've spent 18 years and $10,000 in counseling for. Are you with me? So we have to be, listen, my, my generalized rule is, and I'll talk about conflict at the end. If you're mad, don't talk. Right? Because when you're mad, you're, you're less likely to be self-controlled. And so, but now that doesn't mean, you know, we stonewall or cut off all communication. It just means if I'm upset about something and I'm concerned I might say something, then I'm smart enough to say, you know, hey, babe, uh, I really want to talk to you, but I'm, I'm, I'm kind of working through it right now. So could we come back later this afternoon and talk? That way, no one feels abandoned. No one feels, you know, walked out on or made to feel bad, stonewalled. It's open communication, but I'm not going to talk about that yet because I've got some emotion going on here. And the last thing I want to do is pierce anybody with a sword today with a reckless word. Are you with me? And so we have to understand that healthy uh, communication creates healthy relationships. Um, let me give you three keys to communication. And you can write these down. They'll put them up. But three keys to communication. Number one is tone. Everybody just say that with me. Tone. Now, every parent in here understands tone. In fact, every parent that was raised by a parent understands the power of tone, don't we? You better get over here right now. 
right? But tone is so important in all of our communication. Let me show you. I'm going to say the same thing. I'm going to say it three different ways. Let's say Jana asked me to, to hang a picture. And she said, uh, she said, um, you know, hey, babe, would you hang this picture for me? And I'd say, yeah, sure, I'll do it. So, sure, I'll do it. Or how about, sure, I'll do it. Or how about this, sure, I'll, I'll do it. Now, I said the same thing. One was, I got you. The next one was, I'm frustrated for some reason about this picture. And the last one was, I'm mad about this picture. I don't know, you know what I'm saying? Like, why did the picture make you so mad? But it's the same thing. It's just three, three different ways to say it. But it's all about tone because our tone, listen, your tone is encoded with a lot of messages, kind of like your body language. Sometimes in relationship talks, whether it's with a child, with a friend, with a teenager, with a spouse, sometimes it's more important to pay attention to your tone and your body language than your actual words. Because how many know you can say the right thing and say it the wrong way and it's encoded, it's encrypted. You know what I'm saying? Let me, I'm going to give you the secret of tone and this will work. Most people, I, I don't think, know this because it doesn't come like naturally, intuitively. We don't understand this because we're created differently. Um, but it will work uh, whether you're speaking to, you need to know whether I'm speaking to a male or a female because tone matters in both of those regardless which one. But there's a difference. I don't know if y'all know this, but, but men and women are different. I know it gets confusing in our world, but God made one and called him man, and he made another and called her woman. Actually, Adam named her woman because she was naked, and he woke up, and there's a naked woman. He said, whoa, man. Anyway, so that's how, but you know, But um, regardless of what culture says, men are different than women, and women are different than men. I, I want to read a verse so you'll understand where the principle comes from. Paul is writing, this is to the Ephesians, um, and he says this in chapter 5, verse 33. He says, however, let each one of you, everybody say this, love his wife. Everybody say that, love his wife. Okay, as himself. And then let the wife see that she, and read these three words, respects her husband. So notice when he's talking to the husbands, he says, love your wife. And when he's speaking to the wives, he said, respect your husband. Do you know why? Does anybody know love and respect are not necessarily the same thing? Because what Paul is telling us by the Holy Spirit, inspired by God, is that men and women are different. And they speak different languages. Women speak a language of love and men speak a language of honor. That's why he says, now husbands, if you want to talk to your wife, be loving. Wives, if you want to talk to your husband, be respectful. I, I was counseling with a couple one time. And uh, about the third time she says, well, pastor, I love him, but I'll just never respect him. I paused her, and I said, pause just for a minute. Now, he didn't know what I was going to do, and this is why I don't do counseling. Um, <laughs> but I paused her. I said, wait just a second. I said, you know, that reminds me. Uh, he told me something that I need to tell you for him, um, and he just didn't know how to tell you this, but I want to tell you. It's kind of along these lines. And she said, what is it? He said he wanted you to know that he respects you, but he doesn't think he'll ever be able to love you. Well, she fell apart, as she should. I said, now, time out. I actually made that up. This is why you don't come to me for counseling. <laughs> it's called shock therapy, right? <laughs> but what I explained to her is I said, when you say to your husband, I love you, but I'll never respect you, it is exactly equivalent as him telling you, I respect you, but I'll never love you. She was like, what? I said, yes, because, and showed her this verse, men understand respect. That's, their, that's our primary need. Most women think our primary need for men, stereotypically, they say, well, the man, he just needs sex. Not actually it. Sex is number two. But for, for many men, it's not all. We've kind of talked about that. No, I'm, I'm serious. If you study it, it usually comes in about number two or number three for most men. For women, it's like 13 or 14, somewhere after gardening. And um, for most women... <laughs> 
It's, it's not this, we talked about that. That's stereotypical. It's not always the same. What is the same about every relationship is one typically will desire sex more than the other, but it's it's not all, it's usually uh, about 80% of the time the men desire sex more, but there's 20, 25% of the time that women do. But anyways, point is, uh, her number one need is security, which when she's loved, she feels secured. When, when a wife feels like, hey, he will go the mattresses for me, you know, that's, I think that's from the Godfather. I don't know how that got in there. But anyways, um, when, when, when he is, I'm number one to him, uh, he loves me, she feels secure. Uh, when a man feels that his wife respects him, he feels secure in, in the relationship. And so, but those aren't the same language. So when we're communicating, and by the way, this doesn't work just husband and wife, it works with kids. Because it's the same language, it's just a, a, you know, a younger version. Are you with me? For instance, when, when I talk to my boys, I raise two boys, I typically try to focus on things like, I'm proud of you. When I talk with my daughter, I typically like to focus more on, dad loves you. You're beautiful to dad, Right? Boys, like, you're strong, you're smart, I'm proud of you. Because it's just how we're wired in how we understand language. So the point being that if we want to communicate in marriage, we're talking about tone is a key of communication. Well, if I'm going to talk to, let's say, Jana about something, then I come to her and I say, hey, hey, babe, baby love. That's why I did the car, baby love. I say, hey, baby love, uh, you're, I love you so much. I'm glad we get to be together. I'm going to spend the rest of my life with you, and, and I'm looking forward to that. I just, I don't think I can love you any more than I do. But I do need to talk to you about something. Well, that's how we, that's how we want, that's how we want to communicate. Are, are you with me, right? So what if, if you're a female and you're talking to your husband, if you're a wife, you're talking to your husband, or, you know, same talking to a male. Well, you don't come up and say, I love you so much. Watch this, you say, Hey there, hot stuff. I want you to know you got it. You are it on a stick. I'm telling you right now, you walk in, my liver quivers, you know? And, um, and I want you to know I respect you because I see how hard you work and you fight for our family. Um, but there is something I'd like to talk to you about. You see, it's all about setting a tone and the way we communicate is so important because you want to, listen, communication, part of it is about being heard, but the other part is about being understood. And really you're going for being understood more than being heard, right? So then it's two parts to be understood. I have to say it, they have to understand it. And successful communication is where they understand what I actually said. Are you with me? That's why we talked about active listening. Like here, I don't have time to teach on this, but since I just bumped up against it, here's a tool. It's called active listening. When someone says something to you, they say, hey, the other day when you didn't take out the garbage, it hurt my feelings. Then you can say, oh, okay, let me, I just want to make sure I understand what you're saying is when I didn't take out the garbage, that, that hurt your feelings. Then like, yeah, that's how you know I actually understood what you said, and what you said is what I actually understood. It's actively, it feels a little cheesy, but it'll save you some body parts. Because a lot of times you end up trying to answer something that wasn't said or fix something that's not a problem if you don't really understand what they're trying to communicate. But the point of this is three communications, tone, and tone desperately matters in relationship. The next one is time, time, tone, time. Um, under this, I don't have a lot of time. I just want to say proactive time is necessary. Proactive time is necessary. Meaning, if I don't have proactive time, I end up with reactive time, which leads to radioactive time. So proactive time is before there's a problem with the budget, we talk. Before there's a problem somewhere else, we talk. In other words, we have set times to talk about things 
before there's really an issue. Because in the heat of the moment, it's hard to communicate clearly, right? And then if I'm reacting to a situation that happened, maybe something said, something done, just even an external situation that's not in this relationship, but we have to respond to it, something with a child, something with family, now we're reacting. Well, that proactive time put us on the same page. It put us on the same page, maybe our budget, about our relationship, about how we feel, how things are going, what's going on with the kids. So proactive time is key in communication. And listen, there's nothing wrong with scheduling proactive time if you're, if you're married, right? There's nothing wrong with, with having proactive time with your best friend. And there's nothing wrong with having proactive time with a, with a child. In, in other words, those are, those are huge in the area of communication because now we know we have open lines of communication. We're on the same page. And when something happens, we've got a base to work from. If we're never having open communication and proactive communication, we're just communicating where it's necessary in terms of partnership or reaction to the world around us. We're not establishing that base. And so listen, you know, Jan and I are, are blessed. Our kids are mostly all grown. We just have one that's finishing up high school. So we do have a lot of dinners together where it's just us. And a lot of times she's cooking dinner. I'll sit at the bar. Sometimes I help cook. Sometimes that's not a good idea because I'm prone to make a lot of messes, y'all. I'm pretty messy. And uh, so sometimes she's like, you know, you, you could bless me by not helping me cook right now. And, and uh and we'll have less cleanup if you don't cook right now. I've been known to turn a blender on and throw stuff all over. Anyways, 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 just pray for me. But the point is, I'll sit at the bar, and a lot of times I don't have an agenda, but sometimes there's just things we need to talk about, and I'll sit at the bar and talk to her, and it's just proactive time. Or we have date night, we have dinners, those type of things. So have a scheduled date night. And you say, well, we can't afford date night. We have little kids. Well, pick a night of the week that you both know is coming, and plan that night to put the kids to bed on time or maybe a little bit early and make sure you have enough energy for each other for a good 30, 45 minutes of connection and talking. So plan proactive time. And let me just say this really quickly. Proactive time means I'm proactively not on my phone. The way I look at it, most of the time, now Jen and I, we have kids and they're spread out all over the place. So we always have a phone because you never know when a kid's going to need you. But we don't go to dinner and get on our phones. We go to dinner and we put our phones in our pocket or in our purse and, and we like to have, you know, face-to-face -face conversation and talk. Um, and we're not going to get on Facebook or Instagram or whatever the case may be. I read some statistics. I don't have time to... to, to talk about them a lot, but just think about this. 32% of social media users are more likely to consider divorce. 32%. By the way, this was 2014 is the last really in-depth survey done. It's higher now. 20% of social media users are more likely to get a divorce. 32 consider it, 20% get it. 11% of people who do not use or non-social media users are 11% more happy in their relationships. I'm not saying get off social media. I'm on it. I'm saying you need to set limits. It's okay to be off social media. It's okay to put it down. You know, it, it builds a, a habit. It's a dopamine hit to your brain. There's a lot of science behind how it works. Um, and social media was created to make people rich, not to make you happier. So let's be smart in how we use it. I'm not saying it doesn't have good benefits. I'm like, let's be smart. You know, just my quick four um tips on social media, especially in marriage, but also with your kids. Lord, don't take your kid to eat ice cream and get on Facebook. You know, sometimes like we're going to, like I'll see dads, yeah, I'm scheduling time to be with my kid and they've got their kid over here eating ice cream and they're on Instagram. Well, you're not meeting with your kid, you're connecting with Instagram. You understand what I'm saying? My four tips are number one, set limits. It's okay to put your phone in a different room. You can actually turn the ringer up where you can hear it like an old school telephone. It's okay to turn it off. It's okay to, to have boundaries, but set limits. Number two, be transparent on social media, right? Be, be transparent. In other words, um, uh, I, I'm not hiding anything about it. Let me just say it this way. This is the easiest way. If your spouse can't look at your social media, you have a problem. This is bottom line. If your spouse can't, if, if your spouse doesn't know the password to your phone and they can't look at your social media, you have a problem. Number three, avoid comparison. The best way to denigrate something you have is compare it to something you don't. 
So wives, don't get in there and look at other guys' biceps and compare that to your husband's tum-tum. Let's not do that. Let's not not. And men, don't do the same. So we want to set limits. We want to be transparent. And then we want to be a fan of each other. In other words, if you're going to be on social media and you have different accounts, make sure you're interacting with each other on social media, that you're seeing their post and, and you have pictures of you. You know, I never forget, I had a couple coming for counseling, and she was like, I just don't know what's wrong. So I'd pull up their Facebooks. And on his Facebook, I couldn't even tell he was married. And I thought, well, I know, I know the problem. He's pretending to be single. That's the, you know, this is, here's the problem. This, this helps me figure out what's going on. And so just be glad you weren't him. I wasn't very nice. And, um, and so, but I said, you, you're not going to have a healthy marriage when you're pretending to be single most of the time. Okay, that's kind of how it went over. And um, so time, tone, and let me give you this one, trust, trust. Good communication happens when there's an atmosphere of trust. So an atmosphere of trust means it's safe. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 7, he has this phrase you've heard, don't cast your pearls before the swine. The context really is around judgment in relationships. And I don't want to read the, the whole text. It's kind of lengthy. But from that, I pulled out what I think are four really important points here uh, are components of trust, uh, of an atmosphere of trust. So if I want healthy communication, I have to have trust. The, the first one is it's an atmosphere of equality. Equality. Equality means I'm not better than you and you're not better than me. I'm not more important than you and you're not less important than me, right? So when we have trust in a relationship, we're on some level ground. I'm not superior. You're not inferior. I'm not here to dominate you. I'm here to connect with you, right? And so, so when there's that that sense of equality that happens that we're just two people working towards connection. That's the first atmosphere or the first component of trust. This next one is neutrality, meaning I'm not here to judge you, right? I'm not here to judge you. That's really the context Jesus is talking about. And so in other words, you can share with me whatever you want. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to connect with you. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? So this is an atmosphere of trust. When I feel like we're on equal ground and when no one is judging anyone else, we're creating an atmosphere of trust. The next one is it's non-invasive, meaning I'm not here to fix you. I'm not here to fix you. I'm here to connect with you. Do you see what I'm saying? So, so it's, it's, there's this equality. No one's better than anyone, right? There's this neutrality. No one's here to judge anyone or condemn anyone, but then there's kind of this, you know, non-evasive attitude that says, I'm not here to try to fix you. In relationships, stereotypically, and this is not always the case, but stereotypically, a lot of times, men try to fix the problem they think it is. Women try to fix the men. So a lot of times, listen, you know I'm telling you the truth. A lot of times women will be thinking, I just need to get him to understand. I need him to change. I need to fix him. And so they start trying to fix the guy. The guy's listening to the woman. She hears, you know, he hears a problem and he's thinking, I got to go fix the problem. Well, neither one of them really need anything to be fixed in the moment. What we need is to connect. When we connect, it makes things easier to work on. Are you with me? So when we come, I mean, guys, we've all been guilty of this. Your wife's telling you something. You're like, well, I'll tell you what we need to do. And she's like, I don't want you to tell me what you need to do. I want you to hear that it was difficult for me. I want you to hear, I want you to connect with what I'm going through right now and not tell me how to fix it, right? And, and conversely with guys, it's like if he's sharing something. By the way, women, I need to tell you something. Um, this might would help. Let me see the fastest way I can put this into words because it's not in my notes, but I was just quickened, as you would say, by the Holy Spirit to tell you this. Um, men, women, women some, some, this is stereotypical, so it's not the same in every relationship, but um, we, we could say women can be more, and I'll use the word bashful, Women could be more bashful in undressing physically in front of a man. But here's what you need to know. Men are definitely more bashful in undressing emotionally in front of a woman. Now, they'll get naked dropping a hat. But as far as undressing emotionally, do you, do you hear what I'm saying? This is a key. Listen to me. This is a key. Because, men, we have to be sensitive when a, when a woman is undressed physically. We need to be sensitive. That may be a little more challenging to her than it is to us. But, women, you need to be sensitive that if he is sharing emotionally, that's challenging to him. 
And men are warriors with their feelings. That's why they have foxhole buddies, right? Ask a veteran about their relationship with their foxhole buddies. And they'll tell you, man, we, we did everything together. We know everything there is to know. We talked about everything. Why? Because they're in the war with them. And women, if you don't understand men are warriors with their feelings, and if you don't get in the foxhole with them and become their partner, they're never going to share their feelings. Because the vulnerability of, of getting naked, if you will, emotionally is a lot for them, and they're not going to do it if it's not safe. And that's why, listen to me, I've been in a lot of counseling sessions with people where, where the, the wife kept saying, I wish he would open up. And he finally tried to open up, and she said something snarky because she didn't really realize how difficult it was for him to share what he was sharing. And he just, I'm done. I won't talk to you anymore. Right? I mean, women, it'd be the same thing as if you undress physically and he said, you, you know, and I'm not going to say anything rude, but if he said something that was hurtful to you after you were undressed physically, are, are you with me, right? Everybody tracking? So it's about establishing trust. I'm not here to fix you. And then it's about having honor, meaning whatever you're telling me is the most important thing right now. So I don't have my phone. This is the most important thing and I'm going to hear what you're telling me. Um, the last point is this. The last point is this. Resolving conflict requires healthy communication. So it's kind of like we've got to have good thoughts. Then we can have good words. And then we can actually fix problems. I want to give you really quickly just five rules of healthy conflict and we'll be done. I know we're going a little bit long. Uh, I know it's a lot of list, but I'm trying to cover as much ground as I can. So let me give you five rules to healthy conflict. Uh, Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger, right? So it's really about how we handle conflict. Um, five rules for healthy conflict resolution. Number one, check your motives. What I mean by that is if you want to successfully resolve conflict, the goal has to be connection. At the end of this, I want to be more connected to this person. And whether that's one of your kids whether that's a coworker or whether it's your spouse or your best friend, I'm talking about this not to be right. I'm talking about this to be in unity. Did you catch what I just said? I'm talking about this to build connection, not to be right. So I check my motives. Here's number two. I start with the end in mind, meaning... I think Jimmy Evans said this, that, the, that no conflict resolution conversation will rise above the first three minutes, the tone of the first three minutes. What I want to express is if my goal is connection, I want to end on the same team the way I end on the same team as I start on the same team, right? So using tone, remember our rules, tone, love, and respect, you know, wives, if you want to talk to your husband about a problem, you know, you come in, you're amazing, you're it on a stick, my liver quivers, all those things we talked about. And you say, you know, I just love my relationship with you and I love growing close to you and you're such an honorable man. Um, and I want to share something with you, right? And But I want you to know we're on the same team. So I'm not bringing this to you to hurt you. I'm not bringing this to you because I think I'm right. I'm bringing this to you because I want to be closer to you. Well, now, now, now we're working on something together. Are you with me? Okay, I'll just take that you are. So check your motive, start with the end in mind. And then here's the big thing, uh, confront, don't complain. Confront, don't, don't criticize. Don't criticize. Um, a confrontation says there's a problem and we need to fix it. Criticism says you're the problem. Do you see the difference? Think about customer service um, at whatever. If you've had a good customer service experience, you know, some stores, businesses, they have a customer service department. What's the customer service department for? It's where you confront an issue when there's an issue with service or a product, right? It, you, don't, you don't go there to criticize. You don't go in there and say, you know what? You guys stink. That's your problem. It is stink. Well, that doesn't solve anything. You walk in and say, no, I actually bought this and it's not working could we talk to somebody about it? That's a confrontation. This, I, I didn't get to, it wasn't delivered to me what I ordered or whatever the case may be. Well, every relationship needs a customer service department. And this is the foundational rule. Listen, write this down. Foundational rule. 
They have to be allowed. You have to allow the people you're in relationship with, whoever that is. It can be kids, especially as they grow older. It can be a spouse. It can be a best friend, whoever. They have to be allowed to confront something without being penalized for confronting. Right? The death spiral of all relationships. One person comes to the other. Hey, I need to talk to you about something. You know, when you did this. And you, wait a second. I'll tell you what you did. No, I'll tell you what you did. No, I'll tell you what you did. I don't know why we're not happy in marriage. Well, I got one idea. So they have to be allowed to bring something up to you or bring something to you without paying a penalty, right? Without you gaslighting them, without you manipulating them, without you telling what they're bringing up is actually their problem. No, they have to be able to come to customer service and say, hey, I had a bad experience here and I'd like to talk about it. Right? So they, you confront, don't criticize, then you listen. So if I was bringing something up and I brought my confrontation, hey, I had this bad experience, well, then I stop because I want to hear their perspective. Remember, we're not communicating till everybody's involved. Right? So we're trying to work on this together. So if I laid the groundwork and I'm trying to work on this together, now I'm like, okay, I said what I need to say. You, you respond, give me your perspective. Right? In other words, maybe I said, you know, the other day when, uh, you know, you didn't, like maybe, let's we'll say Janet was leaving and she didn't tell me bye. Okay, now this has never happened, but just a simple analogy. And I might go to her and say, you know, I love you. You're amazing. You know, all the stuff we talked about, we're on the same team. But the other day when you left and didn't tell me bye, now this is a key, 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 key. I felt like I wasn't as important to you as who you were talking to on the phone. Now, this, by the way, never happened, so, but you, did you see what I just said? I didn't say the other day when you didn't tell me bye, it's because you don't love me and you don't like me. And I didn't give her, I didn't tell her what she was thinking. I didn't tell her what she was feeling. And I didn't accuse her of being a bad person or doing anything wrong. I just said, this was what I experienced. This is how I felt about it. And then I back up and let her talk. Because she might say, well, you know what, baby, I'm so sorry. I was in a hurry because I was late to an appointment. My mom called, and then the dog went crazy, and I just, I just had to go, you know. And then I would say, oh, I totally understand. That's great, but you still owe me a kiss. <laughs> right? So, so then we listen. After we listen, then we can work together from there. Does that make sense? Listen, we're created from relationship for relationship and communication is a huge part and it starts with our thoughts but our relationships will never rise above our thoughts and our communication about them amen come on can you give jesus praise today hey pastor marty here from pathway church and i just want to say thank you for joining us and i want to encourage you to get connected and stay connected. And there's several ways you can do that. Number one, you can download the Pathway app and we are all the time offering resources and information on that app for you. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you do, make sure you click the bell so that you never miss any life-giving and life-changing content as we add it to the channel. And then also, uh, make sure you follow us on social media, on Instagram, on Facebook. Look. Our hope and heart for you is that you walk in the purpose for which God made and created and redeemed you for. We love to connect people to purpose. We thank you for giving us this opportunity. And if you're ever in Longview or you are in Longview, I'd love to invite you to join us in person each weekend. Listen, I pray God's best for your life. I believe if you follow Jesus, your best is ahead.